Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hey, nerds. Welcome to episode 441 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. Uh, just Adam today, but I'm extremely excited for you to hear this conversation. I'm talking to Francesca Saratella, whose new book, The Ghosts of Harvard, comes out tomorrow. If you're listening to this Monday, uh, you may recognize that name if you listen to last week's uh, May preview episode because Jill talked about how excited she was to read this book. And then I got to mention and remind her that I interviewed Francesca and that the book is phenomenal. Um, so this is one of those books where Jill and I are both excited about it for me, her to read it and me because I have read it and had a lovely conversation with Francesca way back in, I think it was January and it's, it sounds so crazy so long ago at this point. Um, yeah, at the American Library Association, um, sitting down with her was like catching up with an old friend. Uh, we had never met before, but it certainly felt like we became buddies, um, and yeah, she's just a wonderful person. Uh, this is her debut novel that she wrote by herself that she's been working on, but her name may sound familiar to you because uh, her and her mother, Lisa Scottolini, the wildly popular uh, novelist, have written a ton of books together all about their experiences as a mother and daughter and just a whole lot of really fun, um, they kind of call them like chiclet type stories. Uh, they also do a weekly column in the Philadelphia Inquirer. So you may recognize her name, um, but as I joked about on last week's episode, uh, if you're used to her writing with her mom where it's light and funny and quippy, and uh, this is a little bit darker, uh, but just a phenomenal story. We get all into it um, during the conversation. So uh, like I mentioned a few times before, this conversation took place, like I said, way back in January. So that's why we were right next to each other. Um, you know, the social distancing thing wasn't, uh, happening yet anywhere. So, uh, if you see a picture of us on, on Twitter, Instagram later today, uh, just know that the picture was taken a long time ago when uh, we were allowed to do such things as take pictures with friends. Uh, if you want to get a hold of us, you can always find us on Twitter and Instagram at probooknerds. Uh, you can email us at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. And if you weren't able to join us for our live, uh, book recommendation event extravaganza with the uh, reading glasses gals um, we're going to find a way to make that available just so you can hear it and get some more book recommendations it was really fun um maybe we'll do another one of those in the coming weeks here it's just a really good time a lot of people in there asking recommendation questions and the four of us nerding out and getting really excited about stuff so um I think that's just about everything. If you want to get some fun Libby or Sora swag, you can go to shop.overdrive.com. Uh, all the proceeds from anything you would purchase there goes to uh, help out librarians and the American Library Association. Um, just lots of good stuff. So, yeah, I think that's just about everything. Uh, I hope you guys are doing okay. Um, we got a little bit of sun here in Cleveland over the weekend. So uh, I got very burnt because I got too excited about the sun. But... Hope you guys are doing okay. If you need someone to talk to or 
a book recommendation to help get you through some of the hours that you're just kind of maybe sitting around, just connect with us. We are here for you guys. Um, happy to help out. I know probably every podcast in the world that you're listening to is saying the same thing, but we're here. So let us know. Um, okay. That's just about everything. I'm going to let you guys get to this conversation with Francesca Ceratella on the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. Hey everybody, it's Adam, still hanging out in Philadelphia at ALA, and I am super excited to be joined with Francesca Serratello, who's a New York Times bestselling co-author of nine book series of essays with her mother, bestselling author Lisa Scottolini, and uh, that's all based on their chick wit, their Sunday column in the Philadelphia Inquirer. She graduated cum laude from Harvard University, which is ridiculous, by the way, uh, where she won multiple awards for her fiction, and her debut novel, Ghosts of Harvard, comes out May 5th. Francesca, thank you for joining me today. Oh my gosh, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So we always love starting our conversations by having the author kind of introduce everyone to your book. It's basically so I don't have voice into the plot. So <laughs> okay. can you introduce everyone to Ghosts of Harvard? Sure. Ghosts of Harvard is about Katie Archer, who is really struggling in the aftermath of her beloved older brother's suicide, mm-hmm. which happened when, as he was a student on Harvard's campus. Um, he was a genius. He was always her North Star that she looked up to, but while at college, He began to suffer from mental illness, got diagnosed with schizophrenia, and sadly took his own life. She makes the decision a year after that happens to attend Harvard anyway and try to piece together his last year and get those why did this happen questions answered. And while she's there, fears she's losing her grip on reality herself. She starts to hear voices and the new question is, is she losing her mind like her brother or is she hearing ghosts? That, uh, you've done that once or twice. That was like very well done. That was like, and it was a great cliffhanger. That was well done. Um, it feels like Harvard is a really good place for a new story. Like that. I couldn't agree more. Is it uh, when you were attending? Like, did you kind of feel that? history. Absolutely. I mean, it's a school that's really obsessed with its own history, and it's just, you feel the weight of that. It's it's this funny juxtaposition of, you know, youth mm-hmm. and so many living memorials, death. I mean, yeah. I think it's, in many ways, it's a regular college where people are sleeping through their 9 a.m. classes and drinking out of red solo cups, uh-huh. but it's also, you know, a place where the leader, you know, the founding fathers were discussing, you know, George Washington was stationed in the Revolutionary Uh Army and the history just from there. Mm -hmm. So you're so reminded of that with with every building named after somebody incredibly famous. And it's this funny sort of uneasy duality, you know? Right. It's a lot of, it's it's like added pressure on top of the fact that you're going to Harvard already. (laughs) (laughs) Right, exactly. Uh, I'm, this is a bit of a departure from what you would normally write slightly darker (laughs) yes uh, just a little bit um how did it i know you've been working on this for a Mm -hmm. long time right how did it feel to write something so much different well the wild thing is it feels like a departure for my readers who've been reading the humor series and now are might read this but really i was working on them both the whole time Uh so it's that duality has always been there and to me, there are some through lines that unlikely, but really it's the novel is also about the way family shapes your identity, yeah. that the stories we tell about our family and how the stories we tell about our personal history really have real power over our present and our future. Yeah. And so in that way, there I think there are some 
commonalities between what my mother and I were writing about together and what this novel's about. So speaking of the two of you, I, you know, you guys seem to have a fantastic I, like, I look at your guys' relationship very much as the way I look at my own mom's relationship and I, except she was a teacher and not a writer, and so it's oh, slightly that's... different. But I, I'm curious with, I mean, obviously everyone fights with their mom. Of course. Of course. Right. But did you feel like you were adding anything of your relationship with your family into this story? Like, do you feel like you put any of yourself into your characters? I mean, you do, whether you mean to or not. That's really the truth. I mean, I did not think that I was doing anything like Mm -hmm. that. And in many ways, um, the novel is, is about this grieving family and the way that this tragedy has fractured all of them. You know, something I was really struck by that inspired the book is that a a tragedy like this does not happen to one person in a family. It happens to the whole unit. And one of the main fractures here is between the mother and daughter relationship. Mm -hmm. And that's really, you know, examined throughout the book. So um, I'm so lucky that I do have, like you, a strong relationship with my mom. I always say having a good mother is like having a a jet pack, a bulletproof (laughs) vest, and a comfort blanket all in one. You know, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. But that doesn't mean it was all smooth. I mean, sure, my mom and I have plenty of little, we call them chihuahua fights because they're just like, and then they're over. Um, but so I'm lucky that we, you know, don't have any big giant fractures. Yeah. I was working out in this book, but. Well, when I, I feel like those small fights, they show how strong a relationship is you have with right. a family member. Exactly. So I'm the same way with, I have three siblings and we're all like ludicrously, like grossly close, close to each other still. <laughs> right. I'm in my mid thirties and I'm the youngest. Like, right. My, my wife will say sometimes, she'll be like, you guys are all in each other's business so much, <laughs> but I think it shows how strong a relationship can be that you can have those little fights and be comfortable hashing it out right. as opposed to just like building. Absolutely. Like, it's probably a sad irony that we are our worst selves with the people we love most <laughs> sometimes, you know, because you're just so comfortable and you know you can count on that foundation of the relationship. Yeah. And in many ways, when I was conceiving of the main character in this book, you know, for her, that was her brother. Mm-hmm. She had a closer relationship with her older brother yeah. than she did with either of her parents. Yeah. And she so identified as his little sister. Right. She was always Katie, Eric Archer's little sister. Uh-huh. And that was the story she told about herself and very happy to be in that supportive mm-hmm. role. But then what do you do when your hero makes a choice that you can't possibly understand yeah. and sort of upends that whole story? So because I, I, I just think that's you need those people and she, right. he was her one person. it's trying to figure out what your identity is when your identity disappears exactly absolutely uh, what type of research did you have to do was it about you know, were you looking at things on mental health on schizophrenia mm-hmm. I'm curious yeah. what you had to sort of do a deep dive into I did a lot of research for this yeah. book on, in so many different areas um, I did do a lot of research on mental health on suicide statistics which is just such a tragic really yeah. you know near epidemic proportion at college it really strikes a college age with the mm-hmm. troubling numbers yeah. and I think that's I talked with I had a psychiatrist who helped me understand you know that medical side of mental illness and of treatment options and what families go through and she was helping me understand that it's a combination of things from you know brain chemistry at that age to the pressures that are unique at, at uh, that point of life. Sure. It should be a launch pad, but for a lot of students, it feels like a precipice. Yeah. And so that was something I really did a lot of research. I wanted to get right, mm-hmm. but as far as the emotional empathic component, I certainly was not asking families to mine any kind of tragedy for me, uh, but course. what I was really moved by and so grateful for is that as I started to talk about the writing of this novel before mm-hmm. it was finished, when I was on tour for the other books, 
so many families took me, I mean, women took me aside and said, you know, this has happened to my family. And, yeah. and it just brought home how important this is to try to destigmatize uh -huh. because it's so unfair and unwarranted that we really need, to, I think, to come together as a community to yeah. help each other heal. And on top of the, the you know, instability of mental health and everything, right. when you're going to college, this is always struck, it's such a mm -hmm. weird as a bad word. It's always such a unique time when you go to college right. where you leave this version of yourself that you were in right. high school with your high school friends and you go and you can be anything you want, but then you go home to your family and you're, they look at you as that same person and you're right. trying to grapple with your multiple people right and then on top of that having like schizophrenia it's almost right. like having like a light warm of schizophrenia where you're just <laughs> adjusting it could feel like that yes yeah. and I think you know um it's a time where when you're a college student you feel like very old and sophisticated yes. and everything feels so consequential you mm -hmm. feel like you're making these decisions that are gonna have enormous import for the rest of your life yeah. but we know as you know when you're at in your 30s, you look back, I'm like, we were babies. Uh -huh. And everything was so much more forgivable than we thought. And I, I wanted to sort of look into that, and that was, you know, something. And then, of course, because the voices or ghosts in this novel come from different historical moments, I did enormous research from diff their different moments of yeah. time to try to capture how the weight of those turning points in yeah. history and potential and potential destroyed and potential, dis you know, Validated. Was there something that shocked you or surprised you when you were doing your research that like you were like taken aback by? Absolutely. You know, it's I had written the I really probably worked on this novel for a decade. Yeah. You know, I mean I was trying to I think I saw a picture right. of like your first writing. Exactly. First I mean and, and once again that was the time when I got out of college I thought, oh maybe this will I'll give myself a year to write this book. Okay, yeah, it took me a decade. Adorable. But I had written the entire novel and um, I'll tell you, one of the ghosts was completely different. Yeah. One of the ghosts I had wanted, you know, I wanted to highlight the way that historically the hands that built Harvard the institution weren't just privileged white men. And I wanted to feature a woman of color. And I had done this research into uh, these types of sort of indentured servant made people that were women, sort of wayward girls employed by the college. And I had done all this research. Was, I said it in the, that character from the 1880s and all this different stuff. Well, I had sold the novel already to Random House. And then Harvard came out with its history of slaver, slaves on, on the, at the Harvard president's residence. And then I suddenly realized that this character I had written was... Intent, which, when my intent was to show the way that certain things get dropped out of a historical narrative, was its own whitewash. And I completely rewrote that yeah. character and I completely rewrote that plot I completely re-researched um, and it's still just emerging research mm -hmm. that is just barely coming out sadly because this people here were not given the humanity and yeah. record-keeping that they deserved mm -hmm. it's very hard to even find yeah. that information yeah. but I'm so glad that Harvard and many elite institutions right now who might have a very enlightened and liberal reputation are, are grappling with that history because the truth matters. Yeah, and it's such an interesting thing to, to really think about is it, there are so many family trees that have been lost to history just because of the admittedly terrible things that happened in the past in this country that right. they're just erasing people. And so now people don't know where they came from and trying to right. grapple with that, I can't even imagine. I think, I don't know if it's human nature or just bad habit, but I think we've made as a cultural history, I've made the mistake that thinking simplified narratives yeah. are 
easier to digest, easier to remember, easier to make peace with. But this novel really examines on a personal level and even a national level that a narrow, you know, lying of I omission or yeah. when that perpetuates, like that just does not let us grow. It doesn't let us improve. It doesn't it's just not the truth. Yeah, a simple narrative might be easier to digest, but it A, doesn't tell the whole story, right. and B, this doesn't show you where everything came from. It shouldn't, right. nothing should really be And it's, it's hard to acknowledge certain hard histories about some beloved places, but at the same time, I don't think it condemns the reputation of the future. I think it gives us the opportunity to be truly great and to truly live up to the values that we have today. Um, so I know that a lot of people as we talked about are familiar with your work from working with your mom. Yeah. And people probably assume you guys write that together, which is sort of, I know you kind of do <laughs> right. your own thing. So this probably didn't feel too different from a writing standpoint, because you really, I mean, I know at, like when it right. comes together, you guys meet up, but. Yeah, the biggest differences were in the form, in the sense that this was a big, giant, meaty yeah. novel. And so that was, it, I, what I loved was the more bite-sized sh- essays uh-huh. that I was writing for the, my books with my mom. But yeah. you're right, we did not write them side by side. Right. Then the Chihuahua fights might have become, I don't know, <laughs> Rottweiler fights. But we wrote them across state lines, which mm-hmm. is the safest way to work with your mother. <laughs> and uh, we just sort of, you know, put our pieces together after that. But I think I was really uh, nurtured by both in the yeah. sense that the the pressure of writing the smaller pieces, but also the constant feedback and relationship with readers, yeah. you know. I really, I think there's two types of writers in the world. The sort of the introvert writer who writes to explore themselves and then the sort of the storyteller archetype who wants to connect. I am that latter type. So I was so blessed to have such wonderful interactions with readers over the last decade. While I was working on this book, they booed me and supported (laughs) me and it was wonderful. Well, plus you mentioned, you know, doing the essays. Like I I kind of understand what you mean because when you, when you start to dedicate yourself to such a massive project you're like okay I mean you don't think it's gonna right. be it in the next 10 years but you especially being someone in the literary world knowing like okay right. this is gonna take a big portion of my life having knowing that you can also write these short essays it's almost like um like a, a palate cleanser like I, yes. I do the same thing where like I'm working on a novel and then I'll write a short thing about like a half marathon I ran with my dad and it just like right. feels good to get away from right. everything and then you can kind of come back refreshed and exactly like, all right let's get back to the right so I had good balance while I was writing yeah. them um this I, I'm curious what types of genres you find yourself reading like I've been having my conversations today with authors about whether they can read in genre while working on a specific thing yeah and everyone seems to be different right I'm, so I'm curious what are you able to like read thrillers and mysteries and like suspenseful things while you're working on something like that? I, I certainly was just because I got to read my suspense and thrillers. <laughs> I mean, and I really feel like Ghosts of Harvard is something of a genre bender. I tried yeah. to write a book I had never read yet. So it's part suspense, part, you know, part psychological yeah. thriller, part family drama. You know, I also love literary fiction. I try to, I learn from it when I read anything. I yeah. learn every single time. So maybe it all synthesized, but um, look, I'm, daughter of a suspense author you I gotta have my page turners and you know I gotta have all that so I I I did yeah I I know that your mother wasn't a like a writer your entire childhood like right did you feel pressure to be like reading that genre as she was becoming an author I'm just like I'm imagining myself as I mentioned my mom was a teacher for 40 years and she taught English to like third and fourth and fifth graders. But that my whole life, I, I feel like the reason I love books so much because I felt pressure as a kid to read books. <laughs> I was like, oh, my mom, Mrs. Sorkin right. is, is an English teacher. 
Do you feel like, okay, I need to be good at this because, <laughs> because mom is doing this type of thing? I'm so lucky in that my mom, I always say she loves in straight lines. Yeah. So I did not feel any pressure to follow in her footsteps. I didn't feel, you know, she always quotes my grandfather, something he used to say to her when people go up to my grandfather and say about my mom, you must be so proud. He said, yeah. I was proud the day she came out of the egg. <sighs> and my mom always said that to me too. So I felt lucky yeah. that I didn't feel like those high stakes in that sense. Right. Um, it was a huge blessing that I was not born to a best-selling author, but a beginning one, you yeah. know, that I got to watch her build it brick by brick. Uh -huh. And I think it was so great to have this profession be demystifying because otherwise it's a little confusing. How does a, how does a book become something on the shelf that you can buy? How yeah. does somebody become an author? And growing up seeing her in this industry and how it worked, I think made it seem probably more possible mm -hmm. to me. And you know, we always just had more interesting dinner conversation of where, you know, should we serving, can you please pass the mashed potatoes? And do you think you would die if you fell down the stairs? Would you have to be pushed? You know, like these types of murder mystery yeah. questions. Yeah, so it got me, it taught me how to think about books and how yeah. to think about writing and how to think about this career. I think you're absolutely right about like the being in the industry thing, because the same thing, like, I've always wanted to write a novel that got published, but like early before I started working in this company and so steeped into interviewing authors and things, in my mind I'm always like, but there's so many words in them, where do all the words come? <laughs> right. And it's like being so invested now and steeped in, the, like you understand like, no, no one sits down and writes 95,000 words. That's just, right. That's, if they, unless they're some kind of just psychopath. It's just like, yeah, <laughs> exactly, it right. Uh, so. I always feel slightly creepy because I have to do so much research to find oh, yeah. things. And Stalk something away. I came across, and I already have <laughs> don't you worry. Um, this is a left turn entirely, but I, I have to ask about it. You and your mom do an annual book club party. We do. Okay, can you talk about this? Because it is. I think it's my new favorite thing I've ever seen. We love it. We love book clubs. I mean, people who are spreading the word like that, it's just their gifts. And so we want to thank them. And when you say thank you in our house, Italian house, that means we have to feed you. We have to invite you to our house and feed you. So what started as, gosh, maybe it was 13 years ago that it started, we would invite book clubs to our home who had read, at the time, my mom's latest thriller. And the first time it was like 36 people. I baked cookies. We made coffee in our coffee pot. Now, 13 years later, we do it on Saturday. We do the whole thing over again Sunday. We have, we have to cap it at 500 people come to our house on Saturday. We have it catered. We set up a huge wedding tent. We do like, it's Bookapalooza. Uh -huh. You know, we don't, um, it's just a big fun thank you. Yeah. And we do that on Saturday and again on Sunday. So we have about a thousand people come in for the first week in October. And it's just been so wonderful to see it grow. Yeah. It's been such a great way to get to know these super readers and get talk to, I mean, it's basically one giant book club yeah. meeting, you know, and with snacks. And I'm so excited that this year, Ghosts of Harvard is the choice, so if yeah. any book club wants to read Ghosts of Harvard in their club, all they need to do is take a photo of themselves holding the book, send it in, all the information's on my mom's website and on my website at francescasaratella.com, oh. and you can be, now, because, like I said, unfortunately we do have to cap it so it's like a random type drawing, but yeah. we would love to meet you I and have you over to our house. This <laughs> is one of my favorite things because, again, I tell everyone like my I have the best job in the world because I get to read books that I love and yeah. then I get to just like nerd out with the people and my favorite thing about interviewing so many authors is just realizing like bar none every author I've ever spoke to is just a wonderful person Aww. and I feel like it's such a cool thing for readers to get to not only like pepper you with questions which they can right. do at an author event right. they get to come into your life and be 
part of everything and like interact with you. It's just definitely cool right. I mean, and it's and people say like you have that many people to your house, and it's like yeah, absolutely. They're readers. Like they're, we've never had anybody do anything weird. We've never had any, but anybody <laughs> steal anything that we noticed. Like it's awesome, and we're happy. It's the loveliest group of people. Yeah. I've loved to see like how the different book clubs reconstitute over the year because people make friends, yeah. and then they make it a fun girls weekend. Uh-huh. And and also this is absolutely library readers are more than eligible. Yeah. We love you too. Like if you're a Lend the book, you know, awesome. That's great. We want to meet you too. Uh, so I, I, it's a wonderful. It's a really fun day. I like came across it on YouTube or something, and I was just like, <laughs> yeah. Sitting there, I was like, wait a minute. This is my. I love right. it so much. It's, again, I don't feel. No, it's that. a blast. We love doing it. It's. I think it's my favorite week, weekend of oh, the year. Sure. Every time, it's just such a warm and fuzzy event. Yeah. Uh, so towards the end of our podcast, I ask nine lighthearted questions. I call them the Nerd Nine. Okay. Fan, a fan of alliteration. Uh, the first one is, what's the last book you finished reading? Uh, I just finished reading, um, uh, is it the, the Ellen, wait. I will also oh my accept gosh. book that you're currently I'm so reading. That's okay, no, the amount of people that do that, they I'm look so, at me. I'm, no, okay. I know, I'm, I'm currently reading Adele by Leila Le, Le, Slamani, yeah. a French author. Yes, I really loved The Perfect Nanny, and uh-huh. now I'm, so I'm going back yeah. reading that. Do you have a favorite place to read? My favorite place, well, honestly, I'm a big audiobook listener. Yeah. And I love listening to audiobooks on the subway. Uh huh. Because it just lets me shut out the newer craziness <laughs> of weirdos on the subway. Uh-huh. But I get transported to a completely different world. So yeah. I, I never am on a commute without listening to something in my ears. Amazing. Uh, do you remember the book that kind of made you fall in love with reading when you were a kid? Oh my gosh. A Tale of Two Cities. Oh, really? I, yeah, I read that. I got introduced to it by a favorite English teacher in middle school. Uh-huh. And it felt like this big, grown-up, serious oh, reader yeah. book. You know, I was, like, uh-huh. in seventh grade. And I really, Charles Dickens-level romance is, like, just spoke to my 12-year-old heart. Yeah. I, I still remember this little passage about Charles Darnay after their wedding night when Lucy is sad about Sydney. She feels so sorry for him. He's so touched by compassion. It says, he folded Lucy in his arms. And I thought that was the most, you know, it was like chaste, this chaste romantic yeah. description, which is exactly what I wanted, and I loved it. Um, and I also loved Madame Defarge, because I love a good villain. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's that. Listen, as a fellow reader of, like, Dickens and, like, Dostoevsky when I was, like, 13 and 14, yeah. I can very much right. appreciate uh, Do you have a favorite holiday to celebrate? Favorite holiday? Yeah. Maybe Halloween. I love a good costume party. Love spooky, dark stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What is one place you like to travel that you have not yet been to? Um, Spain. I've never been to Spain, yeah. yeah. Get a lot of paella. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> right. Uh, coffee or tea? Coffee. Yeah. Any other says coffee is an answer, they give me that look. Like it's obviously <laughs> it's like, right, it's a little intense part of our yeah, brain. Exactly. Inspired. Uh, cats or dogs? Both. I have both. I have a, two senior pets, a 12-year-old dog and a 13-year-old cat, and they both run my apartment, and I could never choose between them. That, I appreciate <laughs> uh, Do you have a favorite food? Spaghetti, pasta, any kind of pasta. I know, I'm so predictable that way, but let's be real, like, it's the best. And then if you could have dinner with one person, alive or dead, who would you pick? Uh, I would, Graham Greene is my favorite author, and I just think, what a wild story, that he was literally like a spy, and Uh then became like a a writer, and all this different stuff. I just would love to hear his, just hear him tell me about life in the British spy and then and Nice, France and everything so romantic and adventuresome and cool. Absolutely. Okay, so last question for you. What do you hope readers take away from reading your book? 
What I hope that readers of this book take away is um, there's anything that they are, you know, the concept of the book is sort of when something happens in our lives that fills us with this regret and those what if, what if I had, what if I could have, when we live in those parallel universes of other choices and we're beating ourselves up about that. The book really seeks to say that we don't know what we don't know. Your perspective is narrow, whether even if you're trying your best and you have to sort of have that self-compassion and understanding with yourself that you did the best you could with what you knew at the time. And I really, I know the way that, you know, I can beat myself up too and torture myself, that fantasy of that you controlled the universe, therefore everything must be your mistake. I want to sort of us to interrogate that and give ourselves a little more inner peace and self-compassion. That's perfect. Francesca, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This was wonderful. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Adam Sokol and Jill Grunewald and presented by Rakuten Overdrive. For more information, visit professionalbooknerds.com. Coming up on 5-Minute News... I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased, and essential world news daily.